Well, anyway, I just want to tell you that. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke, the seventh chapter. Let's all stand as we honor God's word by standing. Luke, the seventh chapter. Put your finger there and turn back to Matthew, the eighth chapter. And we're going to read Matthew, the eighth chapter, and then we're going back to uh, Luke, the seventh chapter. Matthew, the 8th chapter. We're going to begin in verse 5, and we're going to read down to verse 13. Matthew 8. It says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. In other words, I don't want you in my house. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And, And to my steward, do this, he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not, I'm having trouble this morning, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. That's That's a big statement. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out, children of this kingdom, what he's referring to, shall be cast out into utter darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, On thy go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Turn turn to seventh chapter of the book of Luke. Now when he had ended all his sayings, In the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant, centurion servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, 
beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came, when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. This is the Jews speaking. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurions sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not, not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that be, that said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. For they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings of it, Lord. We thank you for watching over taking care of us. Lord, I pray that you'll help us today. I need your help, Lord. I always need you. And Lord, I pray that you'll go with us and watch over us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Christ was returning from Galilee, where while in the area, he healed a leper, as we talked about last week. And now he was on his way to Capernaum. And it was there that he met a centurion. A centurion was a Roman officer in the Roman army. Now, some, some teach that the centurion had as many as 4,000 soldiers under him in the Roman army who had a servant that was sick and had to stay home because of his sickness. The centurion did not know what to do for his sick servant, so he saw Jesus and asked of him to help his servant. Now, you understand this centurion wanted his servant to be healed, but he couldn't do anything. All he could do was call the Roman doctors, and they were. And he knew that they were not going to be of any help because he knew, as it says in, in, in Luke, that he was about to die. He knew that they couldn't do anything, and so he was actually found himself in a helpless condition because he loved this servant. He loved this servant so much that 
he was willing to go to a Jew and ask for help, which was forbidden vehemently by the Romans. Now, we're going to talk about that later. The centurion did not know what to do for his sick servant, so he saw Jesus and asked of him to help his servant. He sent word to Christ by some of the Jews that he wanted Christ to come and heal his servant. He, he couldn't even go to him himself. It was forbidden for him to do that. You know, if you're hearing lost today, you'll say, well, I pray, but you know you're forbidden to do that. You're not saved. You're forbidden to go to Christ and ask of him anything if you're not saved. You know, some people say, well, uh, anybody can go and pray Jesus. If you're not saved, you can't because he won't hear your prayers. He won't listen to you. And this centurion knew that he was in the condition, the position to where he could not go to Jesus and ask him face to face if he would heal his servant. He knew he couldn't do it. He sent word to Christ by some of the Jews that he wanted Christ to come and heal his servant in verses 4 and 5. Matthew's account states, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Matthew 8 and verse 7. Luke's account states, Luke 7, 6 and 8, says, Then Jesus went unto them, or with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. So he told them, he says, I can't talk to him. He said, I can't talk to him. And, and, and you know, you only become worthy to talk to the Lord when you're saved. You know, some people, I've heard people say, even after they're saved, well, I'm not worthy. You are worthy if the Lord saved you. Because he wants to talk to you and he wants you to talk to him. He wants you to pray to him. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to seek him in all the problems you have in life. But some people said, well, I'm, I'm not worthy. You know, if I ask for a raise of hands of how many of you have go to pray to Christ and you realize, well, why am I praying this? I'm not worthy to do that. That's the human nature. That's the human nature. That's the old nature. That's, that's the nature that we were born with. You're not worthy to go to Christ until you're saved. I've had people tell me, well, I pray every day. Are you saved? No, but I pray every day. I don't go to bed at night that I don't pray, and I don't doubt them. They do. They're not, they're not telling an untruth. They do pray. It's like the man that I told you folks about a long time ago. Every time I see him, every time I have opportunity to talk with him, First thing he'll ask me, do you pray every day to be saved? 
When I call him by name, I'm not going to call his name here, but I called him by name, and uh, I said, no, I don't pray every day to be saved. He said, well, I do. He says, I'm not satisfied that the Lord has saved me. And he said, I pray every day. And I told him, I called him my name again. I said, you don't have to pray every day to be saved if the Lord has saved you. That's that's a one-time event. That's a one-time thing, you know. If you're here today and you think maybe you joined a church or you joined some religious organization and you think, well, then I'm not too satisfied with whether I'm saved or not, then you better be, you've got other problems. You, you, you've got other worries. Because the Bible plainly teaches that every person that dies is going to stand before the Lord. Before anything else ever happens. They're going to stand before the Lord. And they're going to have to give an account. Saved or lost, they're going to have to give an account for the life that they have lived. Now you might say, well, are they all going to be in a general judgment? No, there's no such thing as general judgment, but there's people who teach that. No such thing as general judgment. Yes, there's there's a judgment for the saved that die, and there's a judgment for the lost that die. If you find yourself in the judgment for the lost, that is the great white throne of judgment, you're going to hell. I don't care how much you beg, I don't care how much you plead, I don't care how much you cry and how much you wail and how much you go on, you're going to hell. You're going to be cast into the lake of fire or you're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. You'll say, well, I I don't believe that. You better believe it. You better believe it because it's so. If you're here and saved and you don't live the kind of life you should live, and you don't have the love for the Lord as you should have. You don't have the love for His church that you should have. You're still going to stand before the Lord in judgment. If you're saved. And He's going to judge you. And you're going to have to account for everything in your life that you've done. Ah, people says that's ludicrous. Had a preacher. Had a preacher tell me one time, that's ludicrous. Said the Lord, said the Lord is, you realize how many people have died and how many people have gone on already? He said, you can't count them. And said the Lord will not have time to, to go over everybody, every person's life while he's here. Well, let me tell you folks, eternity has no time and no end. If it takes the Lord 10,000 years in our terminology to, to talk to 10 people, that's okay. Because he still has eternity left. You know, things, things are, in eternity, things are not going to be like we see it today. You're going to say, well, sometimes I'm late for work. You won't be late there. You'll be right there when time comes. You say, sometimes it's so hard for me to go. You, you, it won't be hard for you to go there because you're going to be there. You 
You know, I know somebody said here recently they get they start getting antsy when they have to go to the doctor. Well, you don't have to get antsy about this because you're going to go. You can choose not to go to the doctor, as you know I've done many times. But you can't choose not to be here. You can't choose not to be there. Oh, you think that this old preacher don't know what he's talking about. I'm telling you, you can't choose it. You're going to be there. This Roman centurion spoke as if he was unworthy to have Jesus in his home. He had other problems with Jesus coming to his house. For if the Romans had found out that he sent for Christ, they would have been very upset. You're supposed to resist that man. You're supposed to stay away from him. You don't, you don't go near that man. When Jesus heard his, heard his reason for not wanting to him to come to his house, Jesus was amazed that this heathen commander would risk his job, his very life, to have Jesus heal his servant. Jesus, Bible says Jesus marveled. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, too. It says Jesus marveled that a man would do that. A man, a lost man, a lost man would do that. He said, "There's not that." He said, "There's not that kind of faith in Israel." And I tell you, if he was, if it was today, he said, "There's not that kind of faith today." People would do that. Why, well, even today, people take a job over serving the Lord. We sang the song, wherever, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. I can sit here and tell you folks, that's a hard decision to make because I've had to make it. But I ultimately, in the end, I had to go wherever the Lord wanted me to go. I'm here in Georgia, preaching at Landmark Baptist Church to a church full of Georgians because I had to go where the Lord wanted me to go. This man risked his job, his very life, to have Jesus heal his servant. Well, I've had people even today tell me that I can't do that. My job won't allow me to do that. After I I work my job and I get a good retirement, then I'll be able to serve the Lord like I want to. Well, I've heard that. The Romans were to avoid Christ at all costs. He asked Christ to speak a word and heal him from afar off. Now, I want you to just remember this for a second or two. The great apostle Paul was also a Roman official. 
Paul was on the job when the Lord saved him. Remember that. Paul had his hand full of warrants that they had given him to go out and seek out these Christians and, and bring them in. If he couldn't bring them in, kill them. He had the warrants in his hand when he was on the road to Damascus. He was, he was going to Damascus to, to take in, to take captive a bunch of Christians. And if he couldn't take them captive, he'd kill them. But that's one day that he did not get to complete his duty as a Roman official. That's the day that he met Jesus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. What did Jesus do to Paul that day? He made him blind. He made him blind so that that he couldn't see what he had done. Paul never did figure out why the Lord made him blind. Paul never did, couldn't figure out why he was on the road to Damascus to do this, and all of a sudden this happened to him. Why did that great light come? Why did that great light shine unto him? The, the light was so bright and, and so illuminating that some of them fell off their horses to the ground. God didn't save everybody with Paul. I'm sure he had a whole band of them with him. But he saved Paul. He saved Saul. He didn't save Paul. He saved Saul. He made him blind. And then later on, he sent someone over to him. To touch him and give him his sight back. But there's one thing you got to realize. He never did get all of his sight back. Every time I can't see this scripture, I think Apostle Paul. Every time somebody says to me, it might be time for you to give it up because you can't see very well anymore. I think of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul had somebody to write for him because he couldn't see how to write. Why do you think God does those kind of things? God does those kind of things because that's the way God operates. That's what he does. You know, I, I could tell you folks, some of you get concerned about my cough. I'm going to tell you folks, doctor told me that my larynx was inflamed. That's common for preachers that's been preaching as long as I have. I've gone from one sound down to another. I'm just about down to bass. Care, I might be able to sing that later on. But I'm not going to quit preaching. Let me tell you something, folks. God works in mysterious ways with his people. He works in mysterious ways with lost people. Here was a man that told Jesus, you can't come to my house. 
Both places. That's the reason I read Matthew and Luke. Because in both places, he stopped when, when, uh, in, in Luke, it says that he was headed toward his house and, and he was someone, he sent a band out to stop him. Telling him, you can't come to my house. He asked Christ to speak a word and heal his servant afar off. As we said, Paul was a Roman official. Also, well, let me say this. In Paul's day and in this centurion's day, the Romans wanted nothing to do with the gospel. They wanted nothing to do with it. It's like old Wilton Flynn, boy in Kentucky. Every time he'd see me, he'd stick his fingers in his ears. I don't want to hear what you've got to say. I also want you to remember this. Cornelius was also a Roman official. When Peter went to him. The Romans wanted nothing to do with the Jewish gospel. A Roman going to a Jew was as if a Baptist goes to a Catholic for religious counseling. That's what, that's what the Romans thought of the Jewish Christ. Now, if we're to understand a helpless centurion, we must see, and there's some things we learn out of this, we must see Christ knows real faith when he sees it. Some people say, well, I wonder if I have the right, the right kind of faith. Christ knows if you've got the right kind of faith or not. He knows. He knows real faith when he sees it. He knows real faith. And, and, and when he saw this, centurion, Luke 7 and verse 9, he says, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Was he surprised? That's what the skeptics say. Here, here we believe, we believe that Jesus knows everything, knows everything's going to happen, but it says he marveled. You know why he marveled? Because he made the statement, he said, I've never seen such faith as this. In all of Jerusalem. Now that's saying a big thing. There was a lot of the Israelites that were saved people. But he says, I've never seen such faith. That's why Jesus said in one place, if you got the faith of a grain of mustard seed, he said, you can move mountains. You can say that mountain, move it, and it'll move. Jesus knows real faith when he sees it. He knows whether you've got real faith or not. He knows if your faith is real. Some decisions that people make sometimes, you just wonder if their faith is real. Jesus as God, let me say this, Jesus as a man marveled. But Jesus as God never sees any surprises. Jesus marveled as a man. He'd lived among men. He had walked among men. He had, he had, he had preached to men. 
And he had even fellowship with men. And Jesus was marveled at this man that he met. He never met nothing like him. Jesus had never met another man like this centurion. This centurion was helpless. He told those who was with him that they should take notice, for they had never seen faith, this kind of faith coming from a Gentile ruler. You've never seen this kind of faith, especially one who is supposed to hate the Jews and the Jewish gospel with a passion. Does this not teach us that Jesus saves even the least of men and even the greatest of men? And I am so thankful that he does save the least of men because he saved me. I was nothing. I was nothing when God saved me. And God could, Jesus could have looked at my friends and said, there's no other kind of faith like that among you, you bunch of hoodlums. If we're to understand the help of centurion, we must see that Christ knows real belief when he sees it. Real belief. Whoa. Whoa. You know, if somebody comes to you and says, do you believe in Jesus? Sure, I believe in him. Are you willing to die for him? I don't know. Are you willing to give up your job for him? Are you willing to go this? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go and follow him wherever he goes? We sang the song. He knows real belief when he sees it. You might, you might get by with saying, I believe in Jesus and everything's just fine. You go and do whatever you're going to do. We need to know that unbelief is the reason the Israelites did not get to go into the promised land. There was, a, there was millions. Some believe there were possibly as many as six million Jews that went up to the promised land borders. And some believe that there was as many as nearly six million of them didn't get to go over into the land that God had promised them. Why? Because of unbelief. Turn with me to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Here's what Paul says about it. Let us therefore fear, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into the rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Oh, it's too late once you're on your deathbed. When you get on your deathbed and the death dew's in your brow, on your brow and the death rattles in your throat, it's too late then to say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. You better pray God gives you the grace 
to enter into death. Because if he doesn't, it's too late. For unto, for unto us was the gospel preached. Paul's talking about the Jews. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Now all of you heard Brother Robbie stand up here during the Bible conference and some didn't like his message. Brother Robbie stood up here during the Bible conference. He was he walked right over there and he said, We have like faith with some, but we don't have like order. And he got in trouble over that one. Because Neil will tell you the problems that we're having right now. Who they blame it on, Rick? Blame it on Robbie. Now, Robbie's got his problems, but there's one he doesn't have, and that's knowing what like faith and order's like. Now, I don't care if he hears that, he knows, because I've talked to him. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my raft, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. In other words, I knew from the foundation of the world who's going to enter into the rest and who's not going to enter into the rest. He already knows. You'll say, well, i got to do something about it. You can't do anything about it. You're just like that centurion. You, you can't do anything about it right now. God's the one who has to do something about it. He's the one who has to do something about it. Verse 5, or verse 4, I guess it is. For he spake a certain, in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of what? Unbelief. They didn't know that. Those old Pharisees, they thought, well, we're going to heaven. Don't, don't tell us that we're hypocrites. We're going to heaven. Don't tell us that we're not, we're not Abraham's children. Oh, we are. Don't tell us that our father is of the devil. Don't tell us these things because we're going to heaven just like you are. But Jesus called them hypocrites. He said, you're hypocrites. You're vipers. You're like snakes in the grass. I don't know how many of you saw that alligator, that anaconda that swatted that alligator. <laughs> there's some kind of snakes in the world. Yeah, there's a picture of it. There's a picture of an alligator inside that snake, Jim. Inside that snake. There's an alligator inside that snake. 
And that snake was working him right on down to wherever he wanted to take him. Again, he limited a certain day, saying in, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, hearken not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, they would be not, they, they would be not afterward having spoken of another day. Uh, another day, Lord, just another day, Lord. There'll be another day. There'll be another chance. There'll be another, they may not be a chance beyond today. You don't know. You don't know. There are a lot of modern Christians who have never really believed the truth about salvation, but they call belief as the same as Satan calls belief. Satan believed in God, but he trembled. Sure he did. There are a lot of things modern age people are told. You must have belief if your religious organization I'm sorry, you must have belief in your religious organization or you must have belief in a man, in a man or of a group. This is not resting belief. This is turmoil belief. This is condemned, confusing belief. This is condemning, condemning belief. May God give you the faith and the belief it takes for you to enter into the promised land. Let's all stand if you would. We're going to sing a verse of song.